Hi, everybody. Welcome to the U.S. Racing Show. I am Derek Simon, your friendly host. And this is the show where we talk about everything and anything related to the sport of kings. Great show on tap today. I've got Brian Zipsy of Horse Racing Nation, and we're going to cover the first day of the Breeders' Cup races. And then there's going to be another show that will cover the second day. But before I get to that... I'm looking forward to completing your training. In time, you will call me Master. Alrighty then. I learned it from a book. I find this scientifically fascinating. You're gonna remember this the rest of your life. Oh, I already knew that. I don't get it. What part didn't you understand? Will you never learn? Help you, I can. Yes. Okay, I know what you're asking. What do I need to know? Well, what you need to know is a little bit about myself. I thought I would start the show with that. If you haven't listened to my podcast before, first of all, congratulations. You're obviously in fine health. You're mentally stable. That's a good thing. But my name is Derek Simon. As I mentioned, I have been a longtime turf rider at both UBET and Twin Spires. Did a podcast on my own for, I'm thinking about three years. And then also did one for Twin Spires and now for U.S. Racing. And the thing that I wanted to talk about as it relates to U.S. Racing is I got an email that I think is going to be on the minds of a lot of people if you visit www.usracing.com. And the question was, what's it all about? Because it's a little bit different. There's fixed odds at U.S. Racing and there's also rebates. And when I talk about gambling... I believe that you should always bet to your best advantage. I mean, that just to me makes sense. In fact, I talked to Barry Meadow years ago, and Barry had multiple accounts. He would do exchange wagering. He did wagering through the paramutual system, offshore, onshore, you name it. If memory serves. I, I don't want to misquote Barry here. I mean, maybe he's listening, doubtful, and thinking, what is this guy talking about? But the point is, is that he was very, very, what's the term I'm looking for? Concerned? I don't know if that's really the right term. But he was cognizant of what he was doing. And I had a question from a guy asking about U.S. racing and the fixed odds. And I said, the greatest advantage of fixed odds is that you can fix your advantage. You can actually hedge. Because we always talk about hedging and racing. Well, I'm live in the pick three, so I'm going to hedge the final leg. That's a little bit easier to do. But dutching, the idea of playing multiple horses, that's really, really hard to do in a paramutual system. But when you have fixed odds, you can do that kind of thing. With rebates, you can actually make money if you don't have an advantage over the game. That's huge. And, of course, people talk about rebates. A lot of ADWs talk about rebates, but... You know, what do you get? A shirt after you've made, you know, $20,000 worth of wagers? Hey, you get a free pencil with the company logo. Here you get 8% back. Anyway, check out the website. And like I said, definitely bet to your best advantage. And we'll have more shows on that as to how you can do that. But certainly during the Breeders' Cup, to be able to lock in prices 
on certain horses, I think, a big advantage. Now, Brian Zipsy, my guest from Horse Racing Nation, will join me next. In fact, I taped that interview, I think it was on Monday. So we'll have that. And then right after Brian Zipsy, we're going to go into the handicapping segment and talk a little bit about the races on the first day of the Breeders' Cup. My first guest for my new show is somebody I'm thrilled to be acquainted with. We've known each other now for eight years. I was talking about this to him earlier. It's Brian Zipsy of Horse Racing Nation. How you doing this morning, Brian? Derek, my old friend. It's it's uh, good to hear your voice again after all these years. Uh, yeah, it's hard to uh, hard to believe that we've uh, been talking horses for uh, all those years, but uh, doing well here in Kentucky, ready for the Breeders' Cup. We're going to talk about day one, and then, of course, we got to talk a little bit about the classic. But there's some races I'm really intrigued by, and one of them is the Dirt Mile, because you've got Liam's map in there, the sure-to-be prohibitive favorite. Yeah, you don't see too many of those big-time milers win a race like this. My question to you, why this spot, and do you think Liam's map is a lock like so many others seem to think? I think he's going to get bet like a lock, Derek. I don't know. We haven't talked about it together at all, so you might be on the completely other side of the fence as me. But personally... I think this is a great spot for him to lose. Uh, four to five, three to five, you name it. He's going to be just probably the most prohibitive favorite of both, both days, all 13 races of the Breeders' Cup. And from a betting perspective, that's kind of fun. Now, if we just look at those Saratoga races, we're talking the Whitney, the Woodward, where he just ran lights out. Absolutely. He's the horse to beat. But I think we see some interesting things here. We got a, a kind of a deep track at Keeneland. This is going to be two turns this year, unlike a lot of other years for the uh, Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. Two turns, and there's a bunch of speed. A peeling Tail, for instance, is a real quality speed horse who always wants to be out there setting a fast pace. So Liam's map will have pressure, more pressure than he faced at Saratoga in those big races he ran, just missing the Whitney, winning the Woodward for fun. Let him be 7-10, to 10, Derek. I think, I think it's going to be a tough spot. Pletcher horses don't always hold their form. Uh, lightly raced on Bridled Song, who ran huge this summer. Now he's coming to Keeneland. Now he's got two turns with a lot of speed. Let him be 7-10. to 10. I want to beat him. Yeah, it's funny that you say that, Brian, because in looking at front runners in this race, of course I put out a Breeders' Cup guide, which I often do, and they just haven't performed well. And I'm on the same page with you. I just think he's going to get bet like he's a mortal lock. And frankly, this is the Breeders' Cup. I mean, we've seen a lot of mortal locks go down in flames. You talked about some of the contenders. What are you looking for? Who You got anybody that you're kind of keeping your eye on right now? In the dirt mile, I think Wicked Strong becomes a really interesting play. Uh, perhaps he's not as good at four as he was at three. He was a very good three-year-old. As you know, he ran in all the big races at three-year-old, won some of them. This year, it's been a little tougher for him. But I think he's rounding into form. His races at Saratoga were good enough. And then the Jockey Club Gold Cup, I thought he's really uh, put in a good showing when second to Tonalist. Now, in this race, he's going to run a far different kind of race than that mile-and-a-quarter race at, at Belmont Park where he was where he's on the lead. This time, I think he'll be, he'll be well off the pace if that pace is fast like we think. And uh, horses are gasping for air at this kind of elongated, very elongated sprint. It's, it's actually slightly over a mile at Keeneland. So I think it sets up for somebody to come come from pretty far back. Wicked Strong is a great option to do it. I'm not sure how much they're going to bet them, but when you got a seven to ten shot, I think you're talking everybody has some odds. There's some real value there. So I expect he will have decent odds. 
Red Vine might be another one to look at. Red Vine uh, has been, uh, since he switched to dirt, he's been a, he's been a, a real terrific course. And uh, lately, he's been running second or third, including uh, second in the Kelso, and where he where he finished ahead of Honor Code. I think he's a horse that should rally in this spot pretty well too. Uh, if both of those horses are in the six to one range, I'm pretty interested in betting this race. Let's turn our attention to the juvenile turf, Brian, because. We always hear about the Euros on the turf, and of course, rightly so. They do very, very well. But when you look at them, to me, sometimes it's just a jumble. It's like, why this horse instead of this horse? You know, how do you, there's lots of Euros. How do you pick out the right Euro? Yeah, it, it, I agree with you, Derek. It is hard to know. I, I think the more you follow European racing, I do follow it a little bit. So I kind of, I kind of know which races might have a little bit more class and which races don't. That's part of it. You kind of hope to hear some news about how the horses are doing when they come over, too. Some Europeans, as you know, don't come over as well. And you can almost see that before the race happens uh, in the days leading up to the Breeders' Cup. So that's part of it. Uh, you know, this this Air Force Blue is, is without a doubt the best two-year-old in Europe this year. And interestingly, of course, he's not coming. But some of the other Aiden O'Brien, he's an Aiden O'Brien trainer. Uh, trainee and some of the other Aiden O'Briens are coming over. They look pretty good. Uh, there's a horse coming from uh, France who looks pretty good, but certainly these aren't the very best uh, juveniles from Europe. Now, in years past, that's been good enough to win, and it certainly could be this year at Keeneland, but I think America has a pretty strong contingent in its own right this year. One thing I will point out for those who look at the breeding aspect, if you follow the Brisnet pedigree numbers, Horses with a turf rating of less than 110, 0 for 38 in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf since 1997. Any horse, again, kind of like I asked you about the Dirt Mile, any horse right now that you've got your eye on that you think might be your play? Well, I think the top two horses from the Bourbon Stakes at Keeneland, you know, that's that's a, a same distance, same turf course. And I think those two looked really good. I, I'm talking about the winner, Arrow Force, off only his second start. And then the uh, the other horse was only making his second start as well, Camelot Kitten. And Camelot Kitten, to come from the uh, clouds type, Derek, he, he just flew home in both his maiden win and then this race. So I think if, 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 there is, uh, if there's some pace in here, I think he's a horse that probably is a really good play to get up into the picture, whether it be a win spot or not, I'm not sure. Now those are those might be the Americans that are bet the most. I think you're going to find value though on anyone in this race. I think this is a race where you three to one, seven to two probably is the favorite. That might go to the race winner, Aero Force. But somebody from his own barn, and I was talking to the trainer Mark Cassie recently that they really like Conquest Batio, is uh, Aero Force's stable mate, and he's been up in Toronto. And uh, if you look at that uh, win he had in the summer stakes, uh, another really strong finish. And Cassie's high on him. Uh, he's, uh, he's a horse that's probably improving at the right time. Conquest Daddio, he's a son of Scott Daddy. He might be the one that gets in there at 10 to 1 or something. Right now, he's my kind of my lukewarm horse that I want to bet in the juvenile turf. Well, I'm going to talk about some of these races later, but I need your opinion on the distaff. Now, I talked about running style in terms of the dirt mile. In the distaff, front speed and speed in general have been huge in that race. We've seen some upsets recently, but it's generally been a pretty formful race as well. What's your take on the distaff this year? 
this staff is wide open, Derek, so wide open that if you pick the eighth choice or you pick the favorite, I think your chances of winning the race are pretty pretty close, pretty equal. <laughs> uh, I guess the favorite's going to be Wedding Toast, right? Wedding Toast off, off a great Belmont form this year. And she does have uh, the speed that you're talking about done well in the distaff. So mm-hmm. respect for Wedding Toast. Uh, in a wide open race, though, it's tough to kind of gravitate towards the favorite. And, and I'm having a hard time uh, wanting to bet her as the favorite. Sheer numbers, kind of like Liam's map. Yeah, she's the one to beat. Uh, I think there's going to be more speed in here than she's been facing. I think she's had easy paces in those Belmont Stakes wins. By the way, they're all at Belmont. All her really good races of, of late are at Belmont Park. She missed Saratoga. So you got to wonder, is she as good away from Belmont as she is at Belmont? With the added speed, as the favorite, leaving her favorite track, I think I think it's worth to try to beat her. Who's going to do it? Like I said, just wide open. Sheer drama makes a lot of sense. She's getting better and better for trainer David Fox and just has had a really good year. I think the race might set up for her well because she doesn't need to be way, way out of it early and uh, can kind of make that middle move on the turn. Uh, the, the last year's champion, Untappable. The three-year-olds might be this good. I'm talking about I'm a Chatterbox, Carolina, even Stellar Win from California. I'll tell you what, though, the horse I might bet the most in, in, in a race that I'm not jumping in uh, full fist here, but the horse I might like the most is actually the horse that's going to come from way out of it. As I said, I think there is going to be plenty of speed. Got Lucky is really becoming a better filly. Finally, the four-year-old super well-bred mare. She's AP Indy, Todd Pletcher Barn. She's kind of finally putting it all together. And if you look at her progression, her late, her late speed numbers must be pretty strong. And, uh, you know, she personal entrance, she was flying at the end against a lot of these same mares. And then at Keeneland, she got up in the spinster. She might just do it again here in the uh, Breeders' Cup to staff. Yeah, and I should mention that Got Lucky, a four-year-old, four-year-olds and three-year-olds perform very, very well or have traditionally in the distaff. Before I let you go, Brian, I know this is the second day of the Breeders' Cup that we're going to be talking about, but I got to get your opinion on the classic. I feel really comfortable in terms of the horses that I consider to be the main contention. Your outlook in terms of the Breeders' Cup classic. Well, this, this could be the most interesting race. I'm not talking from a better perspective necessarily, Derek, but from a fan perspective, this could be the most interesting Breeders' Cup race ever. Yeah, no doubt. Over 30 years of Breeders' Cups, and we, we got a Triple Crown winner. We got a, a champion mare that's just been awesome for four consecutive years, going finally going against the best males in the country. I think the three-year-olds are really good this year, so that includes Keen Ice. That includes Frosted. Tonalist is certainly a mile-and-a-quarter horse. And Honor Code, I mean, how good is Honor Code? He's just a, he's, he's a late running. People love to see the late runners and he's a, a really impressive late runner. He doesn't always run his best, but when he does run his best, Honor Code is just a terrific animal. Mile and a quarter, he's never been a mile and a quarter. Anyway, those are the six. I mentioned six horses there. That was American Pharaoh, Frosted, Keen Ice, Beholder, Tonalist. And honor code. I think any of the six have a have a legitimate shot. I'm not crazy about anybody else. So, big deal, Brian. You just narrowed it down to six. But I, I think it's an interesting race. Uh, and American Pharaoh might be the most likely winner. He's going to be the favorite. But I, you know, as a better, I want to take a shot because I think any one of the six has a reasonable shot. Tonalist eight to one. Frosted fifteen to one. 
kind of middle of the pack. Their move on the turn, if, if uh, American Pharaohs uh, uh, softened up at all at a mile and a quarter, I think those are very interesting horses with some decent odds. All right. Hey, always a pleasure, Brian. It's been too long. I want to thank you for coming onto the show. Wish you all the best of luck at Horse Racing Nation. It was my pleasure to be on with you again. Let's uh, make the next time a little uh, shorter gap. Sounds good. Thanks, Brian. your PPs, everybody. It is time to handicap. Of course, PPs, short for past performances. And I wanted to take a look at the first day of the Breeders' Cup extravaganza. That is Friday, October 30th. And rather than go through each horse, because there's so many of them, I thought I would concentrate on my main contenders and also give you some stats that you can use in your own handicapping. So towards that end, I want to start off with first-time Lasix in the Breeders' Cup. Of course, we have a lot of foreigners shipping in, and many of them will be first-time Lasix. Since 1997, there have been 177 horses in the Breeders' Cup first-time Lasix. 20 of 1, 11.3%. That's a 1.31 impact value and a 0.92 odds-based impact value. Now, I've explained these values before, but the impact value was really popularized by William Kieran, and a 1.00 is considered normal. In other words, you're not winning any more than would be expected. If it's above one, you are winning more than expected. If it's below one, you're winning less than expected. And the expectation is simply based on field size, which is why I came up with the odds-based impact value, because that looks at the odds and sets that as your expected win percentage. And then horses that exceed their expected win percentage, obviously that's a positive figure. If they're below their expected winning chances, then that's a negative. With the odds-based impact value, because we're using odds, we've got to account for takeout and breakage. So 0.8 to 0.85, and that's just roughly, is normal. You know, nothing of note with the factor being studied. If it's over 0.85, that's a positive. Over 1 generally means that the factor produces profits. And conversely, if it's less than 0.8, that's a negative factor. The lower the factor, the more negative and probably the more red ink you're going to see. First time Lasix in the Breeders' Cup, of course, a big factor. Now, part of that is because shippers in turf events simply do better and they're typically first-time Lasix. But here's the thing that I thought was interesting. Horses that were on no medication at all in the Breeders' Cup, 1.01 impact value, so they're winning their fair share, but a 0.75 odds-based impact value, so it's negative in terms of profitability. Then we look at equipment changes. This one, very interesting because it's the opposite of what we see in races like the Kentucky Derby. Blinkers on in the Breeders' Cup. 1.08 impact value, a 1.46 odds-based impact value. And the blinkers off angle, which it typically is, is even better. 1.72 impact value and a 1.81 odds-based impact value. So with that out of the way, let's take a look at the first race. On the Breeders' Cup program, this is the Juvenile Turf, 
And the horse that I kind of like that has a couple angles in his favor is Shogun. We just talked about blinkers on and first-time Lasix. Well, it applies to Shogun. He also has my best perceived ability rating. And the perceived ability rating is really just looking at what the crowd has perceived the horse's ability to be in the past. And it's based on the kind of races a horse is running in and what its odds are in those races. Now, horses with a top two perceived ability rating or par in juvenile events since 1997, 19 of 103, they've won 19 of 53 Breeders' Cup races, but there have been 103 qualifiers, a 32% ROI to win. That's a 2.14 impact value and a 1.00 odds-based impact value. So again, Shogun to me kind of fits a lot of the categories. Another thing that's very, very prominent in the Breeders' Cup or very, very effective is a good last workout. Now, in my Breeders' Cup betting guide, which clients of usracing.com can get for free, I have all kinds of stats in there. And one of them is looking at workouts because we always have these workout experts and we got these workout reports and experts are telling us what they saw on the track. I get a kick out of it because I think most of it is utter nonsense. Just looking at times will do it. Horses that averaged a split time of 11 and 4 fifths seconds or less, I consider that a good workout. If it was 12 and 3 fifths second per furlong or greater, that's a bad workout. Now, I know what some of you are going to say. Derek, that's highly inaccurate. Clearly, it doesn't account for fatigue. That is correct. And so if you want to play around with it and make it better, fine. But it works for our purposes here. Now, horses with a good workout over the host track since 1997, a 1.66 impact value, a 1.2 odds-based impact value. Good workouts in general are also positive. Slow workouts, a 0.7 impact value and a 0.62 odds-based impact value. That is really surprising to me. So something to look for. And in this race, you do have Dressed in Hermes, who had a good last workout. The problem with Dressed in Hermes is that if you look at the Brisnet surface rating in the history of the juvenile turf, no horse with a turf pedigree rating of 110 or less, excuse me, less than 110, has ever won. Dressed in Hermes, a 106. And you can find those ratings in the Brisnet past performances if those are the past performances you're using. If not, you can't find it. But I'm telling you. So let's move on now. We'll go to the seventh race at Keeneland on Friday. This is the Dirt Mile. This race is really, really intriguing to me because you've got a horse in here who is a massive favorite. If I can grab my sheet here. Here's the funny thing. In the history of the Dirt Mile, the early speed ration, and that's my own measurement of early energy distribution, the lower the figure, the more energy being used. And you can kind of look at it as speed when you're dealing with horses of a similar class, minus 12 is the par for the dirt mile. Okay, keep that in mind. Now, the par for the LSR, I might as well cover the LSRs while I'm at it. That's a late speed ration or an LSR. It is a measurement of late energy disbursement. The higher the figure, the better. Again, it's not pure speed. What I like about these figures is that they can be used on races of all classes. They're relative. You can go back, you know, to 1940 and compute ESRs and LSRs. So they've got a lot of utility. 
But I do want to tell people they're not necessarily speed. In the history of the dirt mile, that minus 12 ESR is the second most strenuous, again, we can say fastest because we're dealing with very high-class races here, to the sprint. Yet, the projected ESR in this race is a minus two. And that really plays in favor of the favorite, Liam's map, who's even odds. Liam's map also has superior speed. That is obviously a plus. Initially, I really, really wanted to beat Liam's map. And you heard Brian Zipsy talk about, you know, we both thought, I just don't like him that much. But when you really delve into this race, it's hard to look past him. Still think Red Vine stands a shot. Now, Brian liked Wicked Strong. Problem there is horses that last raced at a classic distance, classic distance being 10 furlongs or greater, have simply not performed in this race. But everything else fits for Wicked Strong. Braidster, very nice last workout, but he's a front-running type. He might be quicker than Liam's map. It's, it's going to be a battle of tactics here, too. And I wouldn't be surprised... You know, I told you about the par being so fast. I wouldn't be surprised if they slowed it down and were crawling. And Braidster is talented. So that is the dirt mile, the main contention there. Let us move on to... Did I skip a race here? I think I did. Let's see here. I did. No, I didn't. Never mind. I've only done two races and already I've lost my place. We will now move on to the Philly and Mayor, excuse me, the Juvenile Phillies Turf. This is another race where there's, it's it's interesting because the Juvenile Phillies Turf, we've seen a lot of winners come out of United States races, whereas that has not been the case with the Juvenile Turf. Here, a couple to keep an eye on. First of all, Aiden O'Brien is stacked in these Juvenile Turf races, I think. Alice Springs certainly looks good. Among the American contingent, we've got Tintype Gal with a plus 5 median LSR, Priced to Perfection, a plus 4 median LSR, and Time and Motion, a plus 3 median LSR. Time and Motion has a inferior turf pedigree rating on the Brisnet scale, so does Price to Perfection. So Tintype Gal, probably the best of the bunch there. But as you might surmise, this is a pretty wide open race. Let us move on now to... We're at the Distaff. All right, I made great time here. Distaff is very interesting. First of all, in the history of this race, it's been all about front speed. Not only horses that have a front-running style. And remember, style and the pace figures are different. A lot of people think it's the same thing. We talk about pace handicapping. Well, how many front-runners are there? How many closers are there? That's important. But that really doesn't have anything to do with the pace. A front-running style is very desired in this race. Horses with a top three median ESR have done phenomenally well in this race. And what's funny is this year, you've got all long shots. Calamity Kate is number one. Then we've got Yahilwa, if I'm pronouncing that right. She's number two. And then My Sweet Addiction, and every single one of those horses is 20 to one or greater on the morning line. On that subject, before I stray too far, my latest blog post for usracing.com talks about overlays in the Breeders' Cup. I definitely suggest you read it. Overlays have done very, very well in the history of the Breeders' Cup. If you are one that likes to bet the horizontals, you definitely want to include some of these overlays. 
Now, back to the distaff. So those are your top three ESR horses. Now, here's what's interesting. You've got Wedding Toast in there, who loves being near the front, has the best overall speed, actually the best overall LSRs, but she's not that quick. And this is something that you always want to keep an eye on. Because what it means, again, we're talking about energy. So if you have a front runner that doesn't have good ESRs, that means that it's one that typically is able to set an easy pace, or set an easy pace, at least, for the horse in question. When that horse has to go faster, that's when some interesting things can happen. So wedding toes, there's a couple of things here. First of all, five-year-olds and up have not done well at all in the distaff. Very negative stats on that. In fact, I'll find them here if I can. I don't see it. Just trust me on it. <laughs> I did the study, I promise. And then you've got a horse that is sure to be one of the favorites. This horse is fast. So I guarantee you this horse is going to get bet. I just think she's vulnerable. Now, amongst the horses that I like in here, stop charging Maria. Very good local workout last time. And as we talked about, that's a great, great sign. I also think this horse can come off the pace. And then there's last year's champ, Untappable. Now, Untappable had a very poor workout entering this race. So that concerns me a little. Now, on tomorrow's show, not only am I going to have Jim Quinn on the program, but we're going to talk about the second day of the Breeders' Cup. It should be a blast. Have a great day. Talk to you soon.